I got a question to, to ask, and I'm not going to... I'm not going to ask you to answer it out loud because it could be a little bit incriminating and this is second chance so the answers can get quite sketched sometime. But I want you to think about what is the, what's the best party you've ever been to that you can remember? <laughs> Got to be fair, right? What's the best party? What's the best party you've ever been to? I mean, I don't know if it was like a birthday party. I don't know if it was an anniversary party. I don't know if it was a wedding, if it was a celebrating event. But probably all of us at some point in our life have been to a really great party at least once or twice. Yes or no? Okay, okay. These people have. Y'all, we're not sure. But we're going to, listen, we got to get y'all at a party, all right? That's all I'm going to say. One of the things I love about a party is that everybody in the room, just about everybody, there's always the one person in the corner that has a meltdown. But other than that, everybody in the room is having a great time, like a party, a celebration. Now, the reason I bring that up is because I think, this is just me, I think heaven is going to be a massive party. It's, it's going to be a massive celebration. I think people are actually going to be excited to be there. Now, that's, that's, just, what I, that's with just what I know about heaven because the Bible tells us that we couldn't even comprehend all the stuff in the, that, that is actually heaven. Like our human minds could not comprehend it. But when we get there, it's going to be a huge party. It's going to be a huge celebration. Ice cream will be good for you. Green beans will be fattening. It'll be a great, great place to be. <laughs> now, the reason I bring that up is because I think church should be a reflection of what heaven's going to be like. I think church should be a celebration. I think coming to church should literally be like a party every single week. And the reason it's kind of tense in the room right now is because a lot of people in this room grew up going to church. And church was a lot of things, but it was not a party. And it was not a celebration. It was something you endured, not something you enjoyed. And, and unfortunately, in our world today, the church, we're more known for our protest than our parties. But when we read the totality of the scriptures, God is all about a celebration. In the Old Testament, specifically the first five books, one of the words that God uses the most is celebrate. Celebrate, 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 celebrate. He tells people to celebrate. In fact, he says for seven weeks every, every year, there's seven festivals in the Jewish calendar. For seven weeks, shut everything down and throw a party. Now, show me a political candidate with that agenda, and I will vote for that guy or that girl or anything other than what it looks like we're about to have. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. God is a God of celebration. God is a God who wants us to have joy, and church should be a place that we experience joy. So, let me throw this question out. What if I told you that tonight we could actually get like a pre-party started in heaven? Now, some people know where I'm going with that. Other people, you think that's a bit sacrilegious. And uh, hold on, we'll, we'll get way more sacrilegious than that. But I'm, I'm just saying, what if I told you that there was a possibility of us getting a pre-party started in heaven? I, I want to show you this. We're going to dive in to, honestly, it's one of my favorite parables in the Bible because Jesus tells three parables in Luke 15 that all have to do with the same thing. A lost uh, sheep, lost coin, and a lost son. We're going we're gonna to dive into it. Man, I hope some of y'all make it through this because 
Some of y'all are going to love it. Others of y'all, it's going it's to be a little tough. Mm, here we go. <laughs> Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now, this verse right here is so scandalous that a lot of people, when they're teaching through these parables, they just, they skip right over this verse because it's loaded. So we got three categories of people. We got people in this room and all of us are in this category. All of us are in the sinners category. All of us are sinners. I mean, look at that person beside you. Tell, tell, me, tell me they're not a little jacked up, right? They did, not, they did not wake up. I didn't say tell them their sin, sir. I didn't say start naming their sin. Nobody woke up this morning and thought, oh my gosh, my halo is crooked. That's the only problem I have in my life. Everybody is, all of us are sinners and we know that. We know that. But then Jesus said, notorious sinners. Now, I know it's gonna be hard to believe this, but about 2,000 years ago, if you sinned in that culture, people would identify you by that sin for the rest of your life. For example, there's the girl that got pregnant when she was a teenager. And there's the guy that got arrested for a DUI. And there's the guy that had an affair. And there's the girl that had an abortion. And there's the guy that got arrested for drugs. And there's the guy that drank too much. And there's the guy that lost his family. They would actually identify people by their sin. I'm so glad we don't do that anymore. But, but at one time in the history of the world, people did that. So people that were known for their sin, notorious sinners, and then tax collectors, we don't even have a category for this. We don't, because I've heard some people go, that must be the IRS workers. No, no, this, this group of people right here, they were so bad, they couldn't even be listed as a sinner. They, they had turned their back on God and they were so bankrupt spiritually and emotionally that if there was a train called the Hell Express, these people were the engineers right here, tax collectors. Now, here's what blows my mind. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. What the actual heck? <laughs> Even I have limits. What the actual heck is happening right here in this text? They, people that were, People that were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. And this is what blows my mind. These people were attracted to Jesus. If the church is the body of Christ, then we should have open doors for anybody who wants to walk inside. Because if we're not reaching the people that Jesus was reaching, we're not preaching the gospel that Jesus was preaching. And at the end of the day, I wanna reach the people that Jesus was, was reaching. So, so these, <laughs> these sketchy people came to see Jesus and listened to him teach. And then next it says, <laughs> this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain. Pause. You know how to find the most religious person in a church? Find the person that complains the most. I'm dead serious. The per I remember... I worked at a Southern Baptist church. I was there for six years. I did everything in that church, but one of my jobs was they put me over the college ministry. And we didn't have a college ministry, so it was awesome. I got to start something from the ground up. Actually, we had like 15 college students, and they said, 
grow this college ministry. And I was standing down front because the associate pastor had to stand down front and people would come by and make comments or shake your hand or whatever. And um, I'm not gonna call her name. I'm just, let's just call her Little Miss Rhoda. Little Miss Rhoda, and that's my nickname for her and I got reasons anyway. She came down and she looked at me. She said, I heard you're gonna be over the college ministry. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you better make it grow because I vote on your salary and walked out. And I wanted to say, you were in college when Christopher Columbus discovered America, Little Miss Rhoda. I didn't, some, some, sometimes I don't say what I'm thinking, which is why I'm still alive. But I remember getting, she was complaining. She was complaining and then by the end of that semester, we had grown it from like 15 students to like 115, 120 students. And I remember Little Miss Rhoda coming up to me because the pastor had said something about me. Here she comes down the aisle. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a way to go. But she said, those college students took my seat. I was, so, I was like, you're, you're like two days away from seeing Jesus, little Miss Rhoda. I mean, like show some mercy. Anyway, just what I thought. I didn't say it, but I'll say it now. Um, but that's how you can find a religious person is they're always complaining. They, they'll complain about heaven. Streets are too pretty. Streets too pretty up here. I can't trust this place, right? And the music's too loud. I just want to throw that out there because if you don't like loud music, you're going to hate heaven because they got thunder and like light shows and everything. May the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So the Pharisees were mad that Jesus was hanging out with sinful people. I want to push the pause button, just acknowledge something really quick. These people killed Jesus. The, the religious people, not the notorious sinners and tax collectors, but the Pharisees. And they killed Jesus because Jesus would not submit to their rules of religion. <sighs> this morning I said it, and it just slipped out, so I'll say it again. A young man asked me the other day, I usually say young guy, but I said young man. I was like, dear God, I am over 50, so I can say young, young man, this young man, young people. This young man asked me the other day, he said, do you have any, do you have any ministry? Of, what's the one piece of ministry advice that you would offer me? Now, the answer to that question um, totally depends on the day that you ask me. Because if... If you ask me like on a Sunday night when I'm done preaching, I'll be like, get out, don't do it. Make sure it's God calling you. Like I, double check, triple check. Um, I don't know what had happened to me that day, but I, I was in a, I was kind of, but I meant it, what I said. I said, sir, I said, you just have to make the decision right now. There's two groups of people and you have to decide which group of people you're going to piss off. <laughs> See, I just did it. I pissed some people off because I said pissed off. <laughs> you're mad right now. You're, you've been in a church that's seen over 100 something people baptized today, but you're going to leave going, I can't believe you said pissed off. <laughs> See, that's, that's why you're mad because you're religious. I just, maybe that's for somebody online. You just logged off. Bye. <laughs> you're either going to make religious people mad or you're, you're either going to make the, the sinners and the tax collectors mad. And I, I choose... I choose to make the people mad that Jesus chose to make mad. He was savage with the Pharisees, y'all. I'm going to show you something I've never seen until uh, preparing for this message. So anyway, the sinners are there. The religious people are there complaining. The sinners are there. 
And, and the Bible says, so Jesus told them the story. And anytime Jesus started telling the story, like some people got excited because they love this. And, and the apostles were always like, okay, here he goes. I don't know what this means. Matthew, write this down. We're going to figure it out later. Just, just nod and say amen, and we're going to figure it out later. I said, good, good job, Jesus. Way to go. I, mean, I love that story. This is the story he told. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Now, all of us have lost something important. Keys, wallet, and phone. I always got to know where those three things are at all times. Keys, wallet, and phone. How many people have ever lost your phone? You've lost your phone. Raise your hand. Wow, okay, a lot of us. I lose my phone all the time. That's why I'm glad I got this Apple Watch. It's got this thing on it. It's got this button you push. Hold on, let me silence it because people are gonna start texting me in just a minute. There we go, bam. Okay, so I got this little thing on there and you could push it and your phone will go ding, 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 ding. And last week, happened last week, lost my phone, couldn't find my phone. I was like, what's my phone? It's in my back pocket. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I told you I'm getting old. I'm just saying we've all lost something. Important. Your dog ran away and you freaked out. Your cat ran away. You threw a party. Something. But this guy, I remember reading this story. And I want to be very honest. The first time I read this story, I didn't get it. And the reason I didn't get it is because I read this story with an American mindset. Now, I want to pause real quick and say there's nothing wrong with having an American mindset especially if you were born and grew up in America. I happen to think America is a great country. I happen to say if I could choose any country in the world to live in, I would choose America. I'm not an America hater. If you are a hater of America, then please let me buy you a one-way ticket to your utopia so you can go figure out it's not as good as you think it is. And so I'm reading this through an American mindset and this is what an American would think. This is, this is probably maybe what you thought before, when you read it for the first time, because this is what I thought. You got 100 sheep and you lost one. Big deal. You got 99. Just call your CPA, write that sheep off, keep moving forward. That's what I thought. Until I realized going to Israel, talking to actual shepherds, And understanding the context of when this story was also told, a shepherd knows every one of his sheep by name. A shepherd knows who he can literally call his sheep by name, and his sheep will come to him just like just like many of our animals will come to us. They'll call he'll call the sheep, and so the shepherd knows the sheep. The the sheep is valuable to the shepherd. So when I was reading this, I was like, oh, it's just some sheep. But the shepherd knew the sheep's name. The sheep was valuable to the shepherd. So the shepherd left the 99 and went and searched for that lost sheep. Now, the reason, oh my God, I got so emotional about it this morning. The reason this makes some people emotional is you know what it's like to be that lost sheep and have Jesus Come find you when you have wandered off. That's a miracle. 
that's, I, I wanna communicate that to somebody tonight that, that maybe you've wandered off. Maybe you're not as close to God as you were at one time and you wandered off. The good news is, is Jesus will come for you. He'll search for you. He's trying to find you, not to get you back, but to bring you back and to the relationship with him that he knows you need for a, an abundant life. That's what our Lord and Savior does. And this is how I know. This is how I know for a fact he's working on hearts and lives. It's happened five weeks in a row. It happened today. So that this, will be, this will be the sixth week in a row. Either in the first timers area of the lobby, somebody will walk up to me and this is the exact phrase they say. Pastor P, I feel like that message today was just for me. I felt like you were talking just to me. But I wasn't. I, I, I might not even know your name. That wasn't me talking to you. That was God using the message he put into me to get to you and you heard certain parts that other people didn't hear and the reason he allowed you to hear that is because he's drawing you back to himself. That's how you know how God's searching for you. It's when you, you, you leave church and you're like, dear God, did he have a camera on me today, all right? So he goes on and says, and when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Don't you love that? I got, once again, I got choked up because he didn't tell the sheep, you know, because if it had been my grandpa, he'd be like, get your butt back, get your, get your, I mean, like beating the sheep all the way. No, no, no. He didn't make the sheep walk all the way back. He put the sheep on his shoulders and he carried the sheep back. And if you've ever been carried by his grace, you know how amazing it really is. That's good preaching. I know it. I don't even have to, because I don't even, no, no, hold on, hold on. We ain't even got to the good part yet. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. Because I found my lost sheep. And once again, I'm reading this going, really, over a sheep? But yeah, if you know this sheep by name and you've seen this sheep growing up and you care about this sheep, he's throwing a party. And then Jesus says this, and I, I'm just gonna put it out there. I think Jesus has more insight on heaven than anybody. He said, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven, hello. I'm gonna go ahead and associate that with party. I don't, I'm not sure it breaks down in the Greek that way, but I, I think joy in heaven would indicate a party over one lost sinner who repents. Okay, we're gonna come back to that word because that's a, that's a loaded word. That is a loaded word. Um, and returns to God, then over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, Jesus, once again, Jesus was savage on the Pharisees. He was always picking a fight with them. You don't believe me? Read through the Gospels and look at the number of times that Jesus intentionally healed on the Sabbath. He did it just to piss them off. He did. And right here, he takes a shot at them. He takes a shot at them. This is what I believe he did. I believe he was, he was saying this, and when he got to this part, he said, 
who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are, and I think he paused and kind of leaned in and did air quotes and went, righteous, and have it straight away. And here's why. The Pharisees, in order to be a Pharisee, you had to have the Old Testament memorized. Somebody wants to ask, which part? The whole thing. Genesis to Malachi memorized. And they would have known the book of Psalms. And they would have known in Psalm 14.3, there's a verse that says, there is no one righteous, not even one. So when Jesus said righteous, it was a savage move against the Pharisees. And they're grumbling, but didn't slow him down. He kept going. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Now, this was a crowd shocker because all the men were leaning in. Women were never part of the story. Here, Jesus brings women into the story. And, and ladies, here's what I hope and pray that you understand. Women in, in the world didn't have value and worth until this man named Jesus came along and talked to women and welcomed women into his circle until the women showed up at the tomb and discovered it was empty. His followers would later go on to write things like husbands love your wife like Christ loves the church. They would write things like husbands live with your wife in an understanding way. In other words, men, we're commanded to understand our wife some of you are like, that would take the rest of my life. Exactly, that's why he wrote it down, because he knows we will never get it figured out. So, so the women, when Jesus said this, they leaned in. We're in the story. Okay, what's he gonna say about us? Man lost a sheep, what'd we lose? Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Once again, first time I read it, big deal. Because the most common coin that we know is, is a quarter. And some of us know about quarters, for different reasons, okay? Some of y'all played the game, and if you don't know what that is, ask your mom and dad on the way home. They'd be glad to tell you about the game of quarters. They have played it um, at one point in their life. But I used to keep $2 worth of quarters in my car at all times, $2. And the reason I kept quarters is because I had a pager. Who had a pager? Who had a pager, right? Okay, we old, y'all. We, we are just old. We are just old. If you had a pager, you're either a doctor or you're old or both, but you remember you'd be riding down the road, you'd be driving down the road, and somebody call you, you get it, and they have a little 911 on the end. You're like, oh, shoot, I got to call somebody. So you're pulling over, you're trying to find a pay phone. And somebody, I had somebody ask me, well, why didn't you just use a car phone? Well, because a car phone, you had to go to Radio Shack, and to get one installed in your car was $1,500. And you got like two minutes a month. That was it. So you put the quarter in the pay phone, you call somebody, you're like, what's up? Not much, man, what's up with you? Yeah, I'm on my way to punch you in the throat because you literally just made me pull over. But so, so I always had quarters in my car in case one of my idiot friends called um, and, or paged me. So if you lose a coin, it's not that big of a deal. But in this culture, in this society, it was a big deal because oftentimes girls were given coins by their father. Um, and it was, she would hold on to these coins until her her wedding night and she would give these coins to her husband these coins were often sewn into a necklace or sewn into a headpiece they communicated value they communicated worth and so if you lost one of these coins it was a big deal and this is how we know that we can lean into Jesus when we don't understand our wives men 
Watch this. He knows. He knows. He knows. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And all the women in the crowd are going, yes, we will. And all the husbands are going, yep, she will. Because they know, like some of you husbands, you know how to make your wife stressed out because she stress cleans. And when you can stress her out, she'll clean the house and it's great. Um, I, Jesus knew when women get stressed out, they're going to search for this. Now, once again, if you're searching for a quarter, it's not a big deal. But if you're searching for something given to you by your father that indicates value and worth, you want to find that. There's somebody here tonight. You've walked away from God and you question your value and you question your worth and you're here hearing a story about how God will literally light a lamp and search everywhere until he finds you. You know why? Because you have value and you have worth to the creator of the universe. Isn't that good? Yeah. yeah. So, and when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. And once you understand the context, you're like, okay, that makes sense. And then he says, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels. Party? Yep. I'm going to say joy in the presence of God's angels. That has to be an amazing, like, I want to I wanna be there. I want to I be there when that happens. And Jesus said that happens when even one sinner repents. Now, here's what I want everybody to understand. Because I've heard people say, Jesus was just this hippie, and he just loved everybody, and he didn't care. No, he cared. And I've heard people go, Jesus didn't really talk about sin. No, he did. Because remember at the beginning, the first verse? Notorious sinners and tax collectors were there. And he's talking about sinners repenting. So he's confronting them and they're saying, he's basically saying, guys, guys, girls, you don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to live that way. He absolutely, he loved the people even though he didn't love what they did. But then he said this word. And this word right here, <laughs> oh my gosh. It has been so abused. It's, let me set it up this way. Have you ever been super angry? Like, like, super, like somebody's about to get hit or somebody did get hit or either super upset. Like you just lost somebody close to you, someone close to you. You are crying. You are weeping. And some genius in your life walks up to you puts their hand on your shoulder and they say, hey, you need to calm down. Did that work? No. If you were angry or mad, they got it, right? I mean, you just knocked them out because that has never, like if I'm worked up, I've never had anybody step into my life and go, Perry, you need to calm down. And I went, oh my gosh, you are so right. You're right. You should write a book. Just call it Calm Down. Just title it. Put your name up. You should be a counselor. Oh, my gosh. You are so amazing. The reason I'm making fun of it is because we, when we tell people to repent, we use it wrong. 
Let me give you an illustration. I had a drinking problem. I've had people ask me, did you, I mean, was it, no, it was serious. It was a, I was drinking a lot of alcohol. And I had people tell me, you need to quit drinking. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Do you, do you think I like this? Do you think I like waking up naked in my bathtub, huh? Do you think that's a, that's a great thing to do? Do you think I like waking up swimmy-headed all the next day? Do you think I like having to depend on something? Do you think that's what I want to do for the rest of my life? No. Of course, I know I need to quit drinking. By the way, isn't it funny? The stuff that Christians tell people they need to quit, it's always something that we're not doing. You ever notice that? Like the, especially the Southern Baptist pastors, they'd be like, you need to quit drinking beer. I'd be like, you need to quit drinking gravy, sir. <laughs> oh, it just got real, didn't it? It got real. We felt that one, didn't we? I knew I needed to quit drinking. But you know what? Telling somebody to change their behavior doesn't work. Stop doing drugs. Oh, that's... Yes, why didn't I think of that? Stop watching, stop, stop going there, stop. We use this word repent and we use it in a way when we misuse it, we're telling people to change their behavior. That's not what that word means. Jesus did not die on the cross to establish a behavior modification program. Repent means to change your mind because you cannot change your actions until you change your mind. The reason I was able to get over my addiction with alcohol is because I had a change of mind that led to a change of behavior. And when Jesus is telling people to repent, he's telling people, you need to change your mind about that thing. That's where it starts, right there. And by the way, repentance is an ongoing process. We will do it. We will, we will do it if we're walking with Jesus. We will do it until the day we go spend time with Jesus personally. Repentance is that thing. He's constantly challenging us because when we change our mind, that's when we can change our behavior. Don't change your behavior. Change your mind. So, with that in mind, everybody's first two steps in the repentance process are the same. Everybody. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, everybody has the first two steps. After that, we all go in different directions because we struggle with different things. But the first two steps in us changing our mind is, number one, is accepting Christ. The reason I say that is because Everybody in this room has been told, once you get that car, live in that house, get that job, make that amount of money, you will be so happy. And everybody in the world knows that that is a lie. Because once you get it, you want something else. Nothing in this world can satisfy us, which, which indicates that we were all 
probably made for something other than this world. So if nothing in this world can bring us, oh, let's throw out some things. Joy, peace, patience, kindness. If nothing in this world can bring those things into our lives, I got a recommendation. Try Jesus. Jesus will change your life. He will, he's the only one that can bring peace and joy and kindness and faith. He's, he's the only one that can bring everything that this world is offering us and constantly lying to us about. And by the way, I've had people go, I just need to become a better me. No, 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 no. You are the common denominator in all of your dumb decisions. Every dumb decision, you participated in it. I know this because I, I participated in every stupid decision I've ever made. That's why we've got to quit thinking that we're the solution and understand that Jesus is the solution. And Paul wrote in um, Romans 10, 9, if you openly declare, that's why we pray out loud, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's where life begins. Listen, I would tell you to pray to receive Christ. And some people go, you need to pray to receive Christ. So when you die, you'll go to heaven. I would tell you that's an excellent retirement benefit. And I am all about going to heaven. But accepting Christ isn't about somewhere, someday. It's about right here, right now. And he will fill you with joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And you will discover a power within you that you've never experienced because you can't experience that kind of power and love and self-discipline without Jesus. And the second step, and you're about to see it, it's baptism. Now, I love baptism. God, I love it. It's fun. Um, but let me set it this way. Last week, it's kind of tense in the room because Carolina fans, well, you lost. I mean, you just lost the game. You got beat. You're like, well, y'all didn't play that good. Well, exactly. We didn't play that good, and we still beat y'all. So what does that say about y'all, right? But after the service, after the service, I walked around. Carolina fans were wearing their Carolina T-shirts and their hoodies and their hats. And Clemson fans were wearing their T-shirts and their hoodies and their hats. And I thought, huh. And I thought back to last year when Carolina did win, 31 to 30. I remember, trust me, I don't need to be reminded of the score. I got it. I remember it very well. I remember it very well. But after the service last year, I was walking around the hallway and people wearing their Clemson T-shirts and Carolina t-shirts. It doesn't matter if your team wins or loses. You're willing to put on the team jersey or the team color and wear it around. And I had this thought, wow. What if Christians were as excited about going public for Jesus as Clemson and Carolina fans were in regards to going public about their teams? Who's never really done anything for them? I've had people say, well, Pastor Pete, you know, it's a me asking Christ in my heart. It's a very personal, private decision. And I would say you're 50% right. It is a personal decision, but it's not private. Jesus did not die on a cross and bleed 
for our sins so that we can make a quiet decision and go on as if it never affected our life. That's why baptism is a big deal. You're about to see people over here and over here. Either Greg or I are going to ask them, who is your Lord? They're going to say Jesus. And we're going to say on your profession that Jesus Christ is your Savior. And Lord, I baptize you, my brother and my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And they're going to go under the water, which reminds us that Jesus Christ was died and was buried and was raised to life. And it reminds us that we were a sinner and we were covered by his grace and were made brand new. And it's a big deal because when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.41 says, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Baptism is a big deal. So we're going to celebrate it. But maybe, maybe tonight you need to get baptized. Say, Pastor P, I didn't sign up. It's okay. This is a second chance. We, got, we already made plans for you. Maybe tonight you need to go public. Because so far this year, we've seen over 1,100 people accept Christ at Second Chance. Over 1,100 people. And we've seen over 600 people get baptized. That's about, yeah. But that's about 500 people that need to take that next step. If you've prayed and You've raised your hand at the end of the service, your next step's baptism. And you go, oh, I did that when I was six. You did that for your mom and dad. Not because you made a decision to follow Jesus. Every baptism in the New Testament was after somebody decided to follow Jesus and it was by immersion. So if you've never been baptized and you're just here tonight to see someone else or maybe just wandered in for the first time or maybe you've been coming for a while, but you know baptism is your next step. I hope and I pray that God will move your heart. And even more than that, I hope and pray that you'll make room for him too. So Jesus, right now, I just wanna ask you to move in this room and move in our hearts. God, that we would all be willing to take that next step in our walk with you. God, you would shake up the ground we stand on. So God, that the worldly foundations will fall apart so we could stand on the foundation that only you can give. Thank you tonight for who you are. And God, I want to ask for us in this room right now, we would just have open hearts and heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here tonight, you've never prayed to receive Christ. And tonight's the night you know you need to ask Christ to come in your life. I want to lead you in a prayer. I'll, I'll say it. You just repeat it back. But we're going to ask, here's a second chance. We want you to pray it out loud. But here's what's cool. Not alone, because everybody in this room in our second chance family, we're going to pray it out loud with you so you will know that you're not alone in your journey with Jesus. So if you're here tonight and you know that asking Jesus to come into your life is your next step, you pray this with me out loud in second chance family. Let's pray it with them. Just say, Jesus Christ. I know I'm a sinner and I need you as my savior. I believe you died on the cross and you rose from the grave to pay for my sins. And right now, Jesus, I declare you as Lord. Come in and take over. In Jesus' name I pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room, if you just prayed that prayer, 
I wanna pray with you and I wanna pray for you. So do me a favor, just real quick. If you just ask Christ in your life, you just prayed that prayer. Would you hold your hand up high and, and just leave it up really high? Amen, amen. Keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Cause I wanna make sure I see all these hands. I wanna make sure I pray for every single person that's got their hand raised. God, I wanna thank you all day long, all day long. You have drawn people to yourself. You have saved people in this house. May we never take the supernatural for granted.